invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We have been working through this epistle and seeing how the Lord calls us to live in a way that demonstrates our identity as those who've been united to Christ, as those who have been set apart as a priestly people called to give glory and honor unto the Lord. And and now in chapter 5, as he begins drawing this letter to a close, he looks at the church. How is the church to be led? How are those led to respond to that leadership? And so in the first five verses of chapter 5, the apostle writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will, like, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. Beloved Church of God in Christ, Christians in our nation have always been tempted toward a particular dangerous attitude. And I fear that the rise of social media and the divisive events of recent years have only deepened and hardened us in that dangerous attitude. It's the attitude of individualism. Individualism says that I stand alone before man and before God. And in terms of our faith, it gives rise to some dangerous ideas. Individualism says it doesn't matter what church I belong to or whether I always attend the same church at all. Individualism says ultimately that it doesn't even matter whether I belong to a church. What matters is me and Jesus. What matters is how I personally relate to Jesus in my heart, in my life, by myself. If you need the church, if you need that crutch of being united to other people, well, that's on you. But I need to take care of me. Period. Individualism. It saturates our culture. That's why it's such a danger, such a temptation to us. It is pervasive in our culture. It's the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the education that indoctrinates us. The latest generation has elevated individualism to an epistemology, to a a theory of truth. If you feel that a certain practice is morally good, then that is truth for you. And if I feel that that same practice is morally bad, then that is truth for me. And so we have two truth claims that are diametrically opposed to one another, but both, according to our society, have to, have to be acknowledged as truth for each of us. And so truth becomes meaningless as it is individualized to each particular person. Individualism. 
It is a pervasive danger in our culture and it will tear not only the church apart, but the very faith of each, each individual, making that faith meaningless and robbing us of our comfort, robbing us of our standing before God. Here's what the Bible tells us. Not only is the truth not individualistic or negotiable, but we do not, cannot, must not stand alone. Individualism is a pervasive lie which we must wholeheartedly reject. God has not saved us as individuals to remain as individuals, but rather He comes to each individual works in their heart to show them their sins as an individual, and then pointing them to Christ, gathers them into the collective, into the whole, into the church. And he tells us that we need the church. So much so that he's able to identify the church as a body, a unified whole with Christ at its head, each part being different and distinct from the others, but each part desperately, essentially in need of the whole. That is the church. And for the church to function, it needs leaders who will draw us together to know and love and serve the God who has gathered us. Without godly leaders, the church will languish thoughtlessly embracing the sins of society such as individualism. Without godly leaders, the church will drift, neglecting the spiritual disciplines that are meant to nourish us. Without godly leaders, the church will offend. God, we were meant to glorify. We need the church if we are to be spiritually sound, and the church needs her leaders if it is to minister to us in the way that we need. Raising up such leaders and teaching us to respond to them is the purpose of this text before us. Here we learn how God leads His church with the selfless character of His Son. That's our theme. God leads His church with the selfless character of His Son. And we see that first in the instruction that's given to the leaders themselves. As the Apostle, as the Lord through the Apostle commands the shepherds to exercise the selfless supervision of the chief shepherd. But notice, Peter addresses himself in these first four verses to the elders among you. Elders are men whom God raises up as official leaders in the church. God was leading his people through the elders all the way back in the age of Moses. When he raised up Moses... Out in the wilderness at the burning bush, he sent him back to Egypt to address himself to the elders of Israel. Already then, there was a recognition that these men whom God had given wisdom and maturity, they were, at that point, not officially, but they were the leaders of the people. And so it was to them that Moses must address himself. Later on in the wilderness, God took the spirit whom he had set upon Moses and he distributed it among the 70 chief elders of Israel. They were recognized as the official leaders of the people. Elders are the men whom God sets over his people entrusting the church to their care. And Peter addresses them as one of them. Now, of course, Peter was an apostle. 
which is a unique office that was given to those who walked and talked with Jesus, who witnessed his uh, ministry firsthand, who were able to lay the foundation for the church through their personal ministry and through the letters that they wrote. But that tells us that Peter is writing here referring to elders in the non-technical sense. He's referring to the official leaders who have oversight of the church. So not just the elders, but also the ministers and, in his age, the apostles. As one of you, Peter says, I write. As one who exercises that authority over the church, as one who is called to guide and lead the church, he says to them, to you men who have been called and ordained, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now it's not uncommon in scripture for God to refer to his people as sheep. The Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel all referred to Israel as sheep. Jesus himself called himself the chief shepherd and said that his lambs will hear his voice and come to him. The people who comprise the church are those lambs, those sheep whom Jesus has gathered who belong to him, in whom he delights. And Jesus, now having ascended to heaven, entrusts his flock to the under-shepherds whom he raises up. What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God that is among you? I submit to you it means at least three things. A shepherd, first of all, leads the sheep under him. He directs them in the way that will be good for them. Think about how... Psalm 23 describes the shepherding of Christ. He leads me beside the still waters, a place where they can be refreshed with life-giving water, but not water that's flowing so quickly that it will endanger the lambs. He brings them to green pastures, which in that uh, region can be hard to find. The shepherd leads his sheep in the way that will be good for them, the way that will build them and strengthen them and nurture them. And he also, secondly, protects them. The chief shepherd, according to Psalm 23, he comforts us not only by his staff, but by his rod. The staff is what the shepherd used to guide the sheep, right? just directed them in the way that they were to go. But the rod, that was more akin to a baseball bat. That's what he used to defend the sheep from the wolves that tried to sneak in. That's what he used to defend the lambs when they were attacked by enemies. The shepherds of the church need to lead the people of God. They need to protect them from that which would harm and they need to feed them. It does no good to protect the flock from from wolves if the sheep are going to end up starving. So they must be brought to food that is rich and nutritious so that they can grow, so that they can mature. Shepherding is a big job. Far too big for just one shepherd on his own. It takes all of the elders working together. The teaching elders who feed the sheep with the rich nourishment of God's word. But also the ruling elders who go and attend to each individual lamb in their homes, in their place of work, in the classroom. Bringing that nourishment as each one particularly needs it. 
It's only as the elders work together, mutually relying on the chief shepherd, that the elders truly fulfill their task. They're to do that by exercising oversight, Peter says. The word rendered oversight is from the Greek word episcopane. That's where we get the the name of the Episcopal Church. Um, It's often rendered bishop. But it's an interesting word. Episcopane, epi is an intensifier. So it it means do it much, do it uh, greatly. But scopane, that's, that's a word that indicates looking intently at something. We get our word scope from that. So a telescope allows us to see and inspect things that are far away. A microscope allows us to see and inspect things that are very small. To exercise oversight, episcopane, means that the elders of the church are to carefully look, study, evaluate, understand the people under their care. In other words, shepherding is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It's something that is different for each of the sheep entrusted to us. This one might need education, catechizing, being brought into the knowledge of the Lord whom we are to serve. This one needs accountability to keep her from the sins that tempt her and and to keep from going astray. And this one, well, he he needs a little discipline. He needs to be able to recognize the consequence of his sin. Each one needs something a little different. And to understand that, the elders need to study their sheep. That's why family visiting is so important. Understand, when they're coming to visit you, they're instructing you by God's word, but they're also learning learning about you. Those elders that sit across from you in your living room, they're learning what you're like, what your needs are. So don't hold back. Don't just put on a good face and pretend. They need to understand what your needs are, what your struggles are, also where your joys lie, so that they can tailor the shepherding of the church to you. They're called to exercise oversight. Brothers, are you doing that? Are you really studying these sheep that God has entrusted to you? Are you seeking... To get to know not just the men who are in a, a similar life situation to you, but, but also their wives and what their struggles and joys are. Or how about the children in family visits or even out in the narthex? Are you elders attending to those children, talking to them, seeing what their needs are? getting to know them, helping them to learn to trust you? Are you attending to the dangers of the flock? Are you reading up on the dangerous doctrines that are out there? Are you seeking to learn what the kids are being taught in their schools or in their homeschooling? Are you, are you paying attention to make sure that there are no wolves entering into the flock with sheep's clothing? Are you nourishing them? Are you making sure that you're studying God's word, men, in a way that will allow you to apply that word to their lives when they raise concerns to you? I don't know why we sing this song. I don't know why we do that thing. I think we ought to. Are you able to explain why we do what we do in the way that we do it? Are you reading God's word 
fervently and prayerfully so that when they come to you with heartaches, when they come to you with struggles, you're able to comfort and encourage them with the Word of God. You're able to go to the hospital and bring them the comforting salve of God's Word. You're able to go to the one who's straying and show him from God's Word why he needs the flock, why he needs the body of Christ. Brothers, this is difficult work. It's work for which we need always to be preparing ourselves, but it's work that they need us to do. Because the flock of sheep that's left to its own, it will scatter, it will be devoured, it will be harmed, it will be destroyed. And if you think that's not a a thing that concerns you, that lays upon you, then you need to read the admonitions in places like Jeremiah 23 where God lays the desperate condition of the people of God right upon the shoulders of the shepherds who neglected them. Brothers, we need to shepherd the flock of God conscientiously. And notice how he says we're to do it not under compulsion but willingly. He understands that some men might be led to serve resentfully, feeling like, well, I can't turn it down, so I guess i got to do it, but I don't want to. We're not unfamiliar with that. Some men feel that they, they can't express their reservations, but they don't want to do it. And you can see it by the way that they don't shepherd the flock. By the way, that they just warm a seat at meetings, but they don't actually go and visit. And others, they do everything they can to get out of it. I've heard men, not here, but I've heard men strategizing how they can be just mildly disqualified. You know, if you don't come in the evenings, they won't, uh, they won't nominate you. Well, I just tell them I won't, sir. You can't make me. But brothers, we need to recognize that That God's the one who calls us. And that it's a privilege. It's a hard privilege. But it is a privilege to serve the people of God. And yes, it's true that none of us is fully qualified. None of us is worthy of that task. But it is the Lord who equips us even as He calls us. Now there are times in the life of men when they are not able to serve well. Their families are too busy. Their struggles are too deep. Their burden is too heavy. And... And the elders hear those concerns. There are times when they release men from a call because they realize that God at this time providentially has put too much on their plates for them to be able to add more. But we also recognize that God is the one who calls and He equips those who call, whom He calls. And so we should rejoice at the opportunity to serve. Last week at Synod, that was weighty. We were working from 8 a.m. until 9 p.m. One day we went till 10 p.m. By the end of that, you think, you know, I only sat in a chair all day. I ought not to be this exhausted. But we are because we're wrestling with these weighty matters of the church and we're, we're wrestling with Scripture and how God would apply it to the churches. That's hard. But what a blessing it is to be able to take up those hard tasks for the sake of the people of God and the glory of our chief shepherd. He also says, let them serve not for shameful gain, but eagerly. There are men who misuse the office given them. They use it with the goal of building themselves up. 
gaining a greater reputation, gaining particular honors, particular privileges. He said, don't do that. That's mercenary. We ought not to be mercenary. We ought to be humble shepherds of the chief shepherd, recognizing that this task is is a privilege, that we're able to represent Christ in the lives of His people by bringing His word, by bringing His comfort, by bringing His admonishment at times. And therefore, we don't domineer over those in our charge. That is... uh, We don't bully them. Oh, it's so easy. I come as a representative of Christ, therefore you might... No. We don't come beating it into them. But we come with the gentleness of the chief shepherd who promises that he will not quench that flame that is flickering. But he will shelter it. And strengthen it and build it up. Folks, none of this is easy. So much more could be said about the particulars of what this looks like. But at the end of the day, it is Christ who is working through the elders in our midst. And so, brothers... You who are called as elders, you who may be called as elders. You need to be looking to Him and seeking to reflect Him to the church. That's really what this all talks about. We are to shepherd the flock of God because that's what Christ does and He's called us to represent Himself to God's people. We are called to exercise oversight because that's what Christ does for us. He exercises oversight. We're not to do so under compulsion, but willingly, even as Christ willingly came down from heaven and humbled himself to be treated shamefully for our sake, even humbled himself to death on the cross, if he was willing to do that, ought we not to humble ourselves for the sake of the sheep entrusted to our care? We are not to domineer over them just as Jesus did not domineer over them. We are to be examples to the flock even as Jesus said, follow me. Take up your cross and bear it after me. And look at the glorious promise that comes. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now understand, every Christian is promised the crown of glory. Every one of us. We're told in James 1 that all who trust in Christ will receive the crown of life. 1 Corinthians 9, the crown given to Christians will be imperishable. 2 Timothy 4, it will be given to all who long for the coming of Christ. But how glorious, how special will that crown seem to those who have exercised the oversight of Christ on His behalf. Who will receive from His hand that crown with a well done good and faithful servant. What a blessing. And brothers, that is our motivation that we will receive that well done from the chief shepherd. We who have been entrusted with his beloved lambs. But it's not only the shepherds who are given a task here, a humbling task. It's also the sheep. Now it might seem a bit odd that the elders of the church are given four verses of instruction here and the rest of the church just one. 
But the task given to the rest of the church is straightforward. Not easy, but straightforward. Likewise, you who are younger. He's not just talking to the children here. He's contrasting elders with those over whom they sit. This isn't an age thing. It's a maturity thing, or it should be. Likewise, you who are younger. Likewise, you who are under the elders. Be subject. Be subject. Submit yourself. What does that involve? To submit yourselves to those whom God has set over you. True submission involves honoring those set over us as those sent by God. God gave those elders to bless us and we trust that God himself will use them, will work through them for our good. So when we honor them for the sake of their work, we're actually honoring him. Submission involves patiently attending to those leaders. We need to hear them when they bring God's word to us, not only from the pulpit, but in our homes during family visits or when they ask, can, can I sit down and have some coffee with you? And they have some hard things to say to us. We need to not argue with them, not contradict them, but take it as instruction from the Lord. Certainly evaluating whether what they bring is from God's word, but when it is, receiving it as the word of God. And then in most cases we need to obey them. Not, of course, if they contradict God's word, but if they say what scripture is saying, we need to receive it as coming from God. And we need to respect them for bringing that word. To respect them. Not not being content with sounding like we respect them, but in our hearts, respecting these men whom God has set over us. Folks, that's hard. It is hard for us to submit to mere men. Because what naturally arises within us is rebellion. But here's the thing. As we cultivate submission, respect, Honor for our elders. We're actually cultivating submission, respect, honor for the Lord. That's why he gave those leaders in the first place. Through them, God himself is molding and shaping us. Through them, God is teaching us what he would have us to know and to do. Through them, we are learning to live before God in humility. Through them, we learn to honor our Father in heaven himself. So we need to submit to those elders whom he sets over us. And we need to submit also to all of those with whom God has joined us in the church. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I love how he expresses that. Clothe yourselves with humility. It's not something that comes natural to us, is it? So we need to cover over that pride that arises naturally. We need to cover over that rebellion that so easily springs forth. Not as merely hiding something that we're still preserving and keeping. No, no, no. But clothing ourselves with humility in order to bind, in order to prevent the exercise of, the release of that which is wrong, which is wicked, which is ungodly. We need to be submissive to one another because of Jesus. He's the one who said, those who would be first must be last, and those who would be leaders must be the servants of all. Only as we do that can we reflect Jesus in truth. 
But as we seek to reflect Jesus, who loved others more than he loved himself, who was willing to put off the honor of heaven itself for the humility of living among men and serving them, only as we do that do we reflect his character and enter fully into the place that he wants us to be. Where God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So it has always been. When did Adam go astray? When he embraced the pride of thinking that he had the right to question the command of God. When he embraced the pride of thinking that he had the right to listen to his wife or to listen to the serpent or to listen to anyone else in opposition to God. That's pride. And as soon as he embraced that pride, he turned away from God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble because we recognize that we don't have what we need, that we aren't sufficient in ourselves, that we can't stand on our own. And as we acknowledge that, as we learn that, then he provides what we need. He provides the instruction we need through the preaching of the word. He provides the comfort and encouragement we need through the elders he sets over us. He provides the accountability and the the strengthening through the brothers and sisters with which he surrounds us. But only as we acknowledge our own insufficiency, only as we acknowledge our own lack. I love America. I do. But the danger of our land is the pervasive individualism. As members of the kingdom of God, citizens, first of all, of that kingdom, we must come to recognize that we are not, first and foremost, to cultivate our individualism but rather to recognize that we are part of the flock. That we are reliant ultimately upon the chief shepherd who cares for us through his under-shepherds, the elders and ministers of the church, who has united us to all of these lambs, all of these sheep, that we need each one of them. And that to show that we need to serve each one whom God sets before us, honoring those who lead us. As we learn to do that, brothers and sisters, the Lord is teaching us to follow Christ, to reflect Christ, to demonstrate Christ to the world. And that is the greatest privilege we could ever have. May God cultivate in us that kind of humility. And may he be glorified through us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need Precisely what you give us through the oversight of our elders. Through the application of the word that they bring to us and the preaching of the word that we hear from them. Lord, teach us to be humble. To submit to our elders and thereby to submit to you. And to honor one another recognizing our need for the whole body. And Lord, we pray that you would equip our elders 
that they would be humble but faithful in applying your word to the people entrusted to them, in knowing, studying those people that they might understand their need. And Father, in all of it, we pray that you would be glorified, that the character of your Son would be magnified and set on display. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, uh, you should have a song handout in your uh,